Peace, everyone. Welcome to a special episode of Open Discussions. I am your host and spiritual homie, Roshan Davis, coming to you live from UHHQ, where we blend creativity, collaboration, community, and commerce together to make some unforgettable experiences. In this episode, I sat down with Sacramento City Council member Katie Valenzuela to take a very holistic approach to wellness through looking at it through what it means to be well as a city. We discuss the ecosystem that exists in every city and how best to approach the topic of wellness for all people, no matter what your economic background. She drops a lot of gems throughout the conversation, but my favorite was this. COVID hit at the heart of what's wrong all along. Let that one sink in. Anyway, open your ears, open your mind. And let's get into another episode of Open Discussions with the Spiritual Homie. Yo, welcome, welcome. Um, this is an exciting one for me, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I have Katie Valenzuela on with me today. And we're going to be talking about wellness and being present, right? Um, so strap up, tune in, here we go. All right, we're just going to jump straight into it. Usually I do like these these long stories and drawn out stories, but you know, Katie is a very um, busy person. Uh, and more so recently, um, you know, we were just talking a couple of minutes ago and, and she was saying five months in to being elected council member during um, a pandemic. So I, I want you to kind of start and tell us a little bit about yourself, Katie, and like, where do you want to jump off at? You want to, <laughs> I always jump off from from Oildale, mm. California, because that's where I grew up. And I jump off from uh, having a dad who is a Vietnam veteran with PTSD, helping other vets with post-traumatic stress disorder and getting involved in the community and deciding one day that they were talking a lot about youth, but didn't have any youth in the room and said, well, my daughter's going to come. I was 13 at the time. Like, I'll bring my daughter to the next meeting and she can you know, drop some knowledge on, on the group here. And uh, I, I always start there because that was a really big part of the rest of it for me. And it's always been a part of the rest of it. Like that affirmation of my voice and my role and my responsibility really to help the community when I could. Um, led me to Davis to study community development, led me to Sacramento doing policy advocacy at the Capitol led me to the streets of Sacramento, doing everything from urban ag to neighborhood organizing to community land trust to consulting to all of it, state policy, and uh, eventually led me to, to run for office. And, and yeah, who would have known? I remember right before I got sworn in, one of the, my now former colleagues, the council member Carr, was like, you picked an awful time to run for office, young lady. And I was like, well, couldn't have seen this coming, Mr. Carr, but we're going to we're gonna make the best. And honestly, I think crisis is when you want to be in that leadership position, even though it's stressful. Yeah, <laughs> you've been very, very busy, right? And, you know, for me, like, 
I always think about you and I hold this space for you. And I don't know if you know this, but I, I hold this space for you of just like making sure like, you know, you're taking care of yourself. Right. And like with all that running around, like wellness is part of that, you know. And so for me, I'm always like, yo, especially in a pandemic, I, I like imagine I can't even imagine. Right. Like the things that you're dealing with during a pandemic, um, because having relationships with other council members before seeing the busyness that they went through and then doubling that, probably tripling that during a pandemic, I'm always like, yo, I I just, I hope Katie's taking care of herself and she's being well. But I really want to ask you, like, what does wellness mean to you? Like, how are you staying well during these times? It's been a struggle. And for me, what I was saying before we started, right, is I didn't come into this well. I mean, I came into this after a really hard campaign where I was really eating like Girl Scout cookies and Domino's pizza, like for two meals a day. It's like, people think I'm joking. I'm like, no, literally, <laughs> that was my lunch and dinner sometimes. Um, so I didn't come into it well. I had really put off wellness already for like a year and a half. And then I finished my campaign, I won, there was this beautiful moment in the sun and then the shutdown happened. And it was, um, and I live alone, um, you know, so I couldn't go and be with my family in Kern County. I couldn't um, go to the gym. I couldn't be around my friends. I have really bad asthma. So I took it really seriously and really isolated myself. But, and then, you know, you're watching all of this happen from the George Floyd's murder to like all this work in the community. And it's just, you're, you're engaged and you're doing the work, but you're not, you're disconnected from it too. And, and I really started to feel that like a month ago because I still was miss, I'm going to do all the things. I'm still going to help my EJ friends, environmental justice friends of the Capitol. I can still do this. I can still do that. And then it really starts to I started crying mm-hmm. a lot more. I'll just be real. I mean, there was moments where I could just feel it bubble up and I just would need to just sit and like watch a sad movie and just let it off. And and I was, and I knew I needed that release, but I also knew that the release was coming from me not taking care of myself during those days. Like when it gets to that point where you feel like you need that really intense release, it's like something mm-hmm. you're not managing it day to day for yourself. And it's heavy. I mean, we opened the first safe ground in Sacramento and it was this beautiful moment. And then what started happening, for example, is I'd get tweets and Facebook messages from folks experiencing homelessness saying, is there room for me? Or telling me these really just tragic stories about what they're going through on the streets. And they got this moment of hope and then we were full and I had to start telling folks no. And I mean, you know, from the business owner who calls you, who's just like, I've, I've hung on this long and I'm about to shut down. Can you, like, I need a hundred grand. And you're just like, I mean, it just, it, it starts to really weigh on you because you, you are so helpless. It's a pandemic. It's like, I can't help everybody. And it, from someone who wants to help and who's an organizer, that was really, I didn't realize how much that was weighing on me until it really got to the point where my body was like, mm-hmm. stop. Like, you mm-hmm. need to figure So what are those out. things that you've kind of like in that realization? Because, you know, that's one of the pieces of of this puzzle is just like, that awareness, I feel like that's the the main piece that you have to get first clarity on is like, hold up, mm, there's something wrong with this picture here in me, you know, whatever it is. And like you're saying, you can start to get to that awareness of like, OK, if I'm getting up to the it's leading up to these points where I'm like watching this movie and breaking out into tears, like 
okay, I need to like scale it back. So that awareness piece is that first piece, right? But then what are those steps that you're taking outside of that to like correct that, like, you know, and, and kind of soothe that mm-hmm. and make sure that those pieces are taken care of? Well, the awareness didn't, I can't take entire credit for the awareness because it was also people Always is. Me. Um, you know, everybody from, everybody from Dr. Flo who was like, Katie, I'm watching what's happening and I don't know if this is sustainable to my chief of staff, Michelle, who's also a really good friend saying, Katie, I think you're working like a hundred hours a week. Like this is not sustainable. But I was like, oh, I live alone. I don't have anything to do. I'll just keep working. And, um finally got to the point where it was like, no, for real, like, I'm going to send you the number of someone who can help clean your apartment. I'm going to send you links to food delivery services because I was eating like crap. You know, I was just ordering out all the time. And they're like, I'm going to send you these links to fresh food, like fresh leaves and stuff that'll get you good meals. And um, what really broke the ice, though, was when I finally accepted, like, I don't like how I'm feeling right now. I, I, I can be of ultimate service to the community, but I don't like how I feel. I feel tired. I feel agitated. It's, it's I feel uncomfortable like walking and sitting and like doing the things I normally do. Um, I want to change is I actually contacted a friend of mine who's a personal trainer um, and she uh, asked her if she had space and really she's one of those people that just exudes optimism so you're around her for an hour and she's just the whole time like oh you're doing so great and like oh look how much better you're doing and oh you only were able to do five pounds last time remember that you're just like I mean literally so it's like both a physical workout and like a mental but it forced me to block that time for myself and and it was twice a week and I'm still doing it right I'm like a month and a half in now where it was twice a week where I'm going and I'm not taking calls and I'm not available because I paid for these sessions and I'm going to do this work with her and that honestly was the first time I remember leaving that first session and just being like wow Mm. there she is (laughs) (laughs) like there's Katie (laughs) like this feels better again okay and then it that little crack in the door was what I needed to start doing that more to start like going out with friends to get coffee to start like booking time on a Saturday morning to go out I golf right so I went out and like to the driving range and hit balls for a couple of hours you know and it's like just making that time suddenly it was like it helped just crack the door Mm. so I could go through it Mm. and start making making better choices. But it started with my friends, frankly, being like, you are not sustainable taking care of yourself. Like, Shout out to the homies. Right. Like, that, that's what they're there for. That's what they're there for to, yeah, to like for really real. hold you accountable. For yeah, real. that's where aware, that awareness comes from sometimes. And, you know, so you, you need that. You need that, especially having that that support group around you that's like, yo, you, you got to get it on. You, you got to do this. You got to do that. Right. Well, it's... And you got to put it in the calendar because, like, I'm someone who lives by her calendar, right? Like, my calendar tells me where I go, where I am, what I'm doing all the time. And so I needed to physically book the time on my calendar and treat it like I would anything else. Like, I wouldn't stand you up for this. So it's like, I'm not going to stand up Amelia for training. I'm not going to stand up, you know, Nick, we're going to go golfing on Sunday. And so it just, it forced that. I I worked it into my structure and then it started to work work and then I wanted more of it like this feels good (laughs) so how do you feel like wellness plays out in like your career right and you know one of the things that I I just always love about you is just when you're on social media you're really vocal and really speaking up for like the unhoused you know um, social justice like how do you think that that wellness plays out in your career side and what are those things you're passionate about there? 
Yeah, the justice piece, um, you know, I didn't have words for it growing up in Kern County. It was when I went to school that I really understood where I fit in that movement space and really lit that fire. And I, um, for me, being authentic to my values is a huge part of wellness. Um, and I tell people this all the time. I remember my first advocacy job, they were trying to poach me to some contract lobbying firm or whatever. And I told them, you don't want me to work for you. Cause like, I can't, if I'm not passionate about it, I'm not an effective advocate. Part of what makes me an effective advocate is that I'm advocating for things I'm passionate about. And you can't tell me to plug and play that for a whole bunch of causes that I don't care about. You know, I work on oil and gas issues, right? Because I grew up in Oildale and this is something that still impacts my family down there. And so that's what makes me good is that I'm doing stuff I care about, you know, that working for the homeless um, situation, working for food access, working for economic justice. This is stuff I believe in. And that's part of, for me, how this manifests in my work is staying true to that course. Um, And again, learning that from my dad, you know, he'd always say, don't worry about the money, just do what you love and the rest will fall into place. And that's always been what it is. If I was volunteering in my off time, if I was doing it for my career, it's what keeps me well is that I know at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. I'm doing something Mm -hmm. that is important. And that's so important. I love that you said that, like, you know, don't worry about the money, you know, like do what you love. Mm -hmm. Like if, if I'm, I hope anyone listening right now, just they wrote that down because that was a gem right there. The homie just said that. Um, <laughs> let's talk about these. 2020 was a, a big year for us all, right? And one of the things that I always like to do mm-hmm. is like reflect on lessons that we learned, right? Like anytime I go through a struggle, anytime I go through, you know, failure, whatever it is, like, I sit down and I either get out a piece of paper and write or I'm in my notes section of my phone. Like what lessons did I learn? What was I supposed to learn in these these moments? So what lessons did you learn in 2020 about truth and deception? Right. Like what were those what were those lessons that you learned about those things in 2020? 2020 was a year of ultimate reflection, right? And um, I really learned this interconnectedness. So what COVID did, I mean, it was the perfect storm is what I call it in a lot of instances. And like, because what it did is it hit at the heart of what was always wrong. And it showed us what you can't deny, right? The the housing security, the air pollution exposure, the economic justice, who had savings, who didn't, who could work, who couldn't. I mean, it just, it, it ripped the, the veil off of the stuff that was always there that everybody said, oh, we'll figure that out later, you know, or oh, we'll get there eventually and, and really expose that truth that a lot of us who work for justice always knew, but I don't think any of us could have expected. It just, it hit at the heart of it and it made it so undeniable to so many of us what was happening and why it was happening and who it was hitting and why that it just, it brought me back to what I was doing and why I was doing it. And it was a big truth moment for a lot of us um, to say, this has always been about racial justice. It's always been about, I mean, this is what, this is what COVID taught us is that this is our truth. You know, until we, it, until we get this right, we're always going to get vulnerable to whether it's this or something else. It's always, it's going to hurt all of us because it impacts all of us, whether we accept it or not. Um, And that was a really, really big truth. And the lie was this really interesting tension that happened. And I know you know this really well. It's like 
basically between mm. making money or being healthy, right? It was this interesting like capitalism, right? And I know, I mean, I just, for me, it was just so crazy that capitalism made it about like, you got to work. Like, why aren't you letting me work? I got to go work or else I can't pay my rent. But I'm like, because mm -hmm. there's a, pandemic going on and maybe like you shouldn't have to work to pay your rent if there's if you're going to potentially die if you go to your place of employment right now like like this is it was such a and it's still happening you know like even now everybody's just like yeah let's reopen faster let's do it faster and I'm like whoa there's still a pandemic going on we don't know what's going on let's be careful but we've set up the system to make it so that it only works if you're working. And and this is the part where I think the ultimate government like lie has been, it's supposed to be our job to take care of ourselves. It's supposed to be our job to take care of our people, right? And and that was totally exposed to be like a complete lie. <laughs> um, but no other way to say it. If you had to choose between whether or not you're gonna have food on your table or take care of your kids or make enough money I mean, what else can you say other than mm -hmm. we were caught in attention? Mm -hmm. A lot of lies. Yeah, and that's such an interesting, like, thing to reflect on. And I love, I love that you said that because, yeah, it did hit at the heart of a lot of what was wrong. And you know, like, folks in this environment were just like, yeah, duh. <laughs> but then even, even on my side, like, seeing some of the financial disparities between agencies mm -hmm. that were not minority owned, right? And I was like, wait a minute, you guys are getting it like that? Like, what? You know, and it was like, I felt like that was wrong. And even though you see all these things that we know were wrong, it's like it like hit to the heart of like, even things that you didn't even see, is like that exposure of just like mm -hmm. wow like on all of these different levels which is a powerful thing you know to be a part of yeah i hope we learn the lessons too because it's like you know we've learned this before like we were talking about 2008 i mean when you juxtapose and like dr jesus hernandez always does this really well like where the um red line communities were and where the mortgage crisis hit um it's like almost one-to-one, -one, like almost exactly one-to-one, -one, right? And and we knew, and, and so you had all these folks that were doing fine, came in and purchased up all the property, right? And that's what happened in Oak Park. It was happening in a lot of neighborhoods. And now you've got the same thing where you've got the stock markets doing great. And there's billionaires and trillionaires in our state that have made enough money to pay everybody's bills twice over all the debt we have. And nobody's calling that out. And then what's going to happen again with all these vacant storefronts, with all these houses people are going to lose? It's going to be the cycle all over again. And I mean, you hope that we'll learn the lesson. And I think we're starting to learn the lesson. But yeah, it's I mean, how many times do we need to be do we need to be shown the truth before we'll do it differently? You know, and so on that level, yeah. what do you what do you hope that people learn in that different space? Right. Like, what are those things? What are those aspirations? Yeah. I just, you can't keep doing what you're doing and expecting something different, right? And and this is what I think for us as government, especially, um, 
you know, we go through these peaks and valleys of social programming, right? Where it's like you have the depression and then you get the new deal and then we recover and then everything goes great and then they cut it back and then everything goes bad again. And then they, it's like we get into this rut where we refuse to see the lessons. And for me, I think the ultimate lesson is what, well, it's really a question, right? About what the role of government should be in, in really confronting these inequities. We knew, we know who was hit hardest by this. It was women, it was people of color. I mean, we know what happened. Um, and so in our recovery, can we correct that? Like I talked to some women's groups about like, imagine if this recovery kind of catapulted women past where they were into a new, more equitable space, right? Like we could do that if we designed it. And I think this moment, this is why I say to my colleagues who were just like, you picked an awful time to be an elected official. I was like, actually, this is the best time because this is the moment. This is the moment. This next year or so is our moment to say, we're going to do it differently and try to interrupt those systems. But for me, it's just, we're not okay if not everybody in our community isn't okay. And that was... That's the ultimate lesson. I remember getting a lot of slack from a few folks when we started vaccinating unhoused folks. Um, and I remember telling them, like, but these folks are literally, they can't shelter in place. Uh, they, they have to be out in the community. If they are exposed, they could expose all of us. So, like, this is about making all of us well by targeting the folks who are the most vulnerable. So it'll hopefully reduce community spread. But I couldn't get people to understand, like, you're not okay if they're not okay because you will still be at risk. Like, we've got to make sure that they're okay. As I, I see it so clearly, I, and I don't, and I wish I could capture that moment of awakening mm -hmm. that I had when I was in college, and I finally put the pieces together and passed that to people. Like, how do we replicate that on a really large scale? And I hoped COVID. I hope, if nothing else, from this really awful, awful year, that at least a few more people see that. Mm -hmm. So let's go before. back to that moment when you were in college and those pieces came together for you. What was that like? Like what? What came so clear in that moment? Ooh, I can yes. tell you the exact yes. one. It's a really fascinating. Yes. I know. <laughs> you knew it. You just nailed that. Um, so I was in a seminar. You know, when you're in school, you get extra credit for going to graduate seminars. And I went to this presentation. This grad student in community development was presenting her thesis. And so I went for extra credit. Um, and her topic was environmental justice in the Central Valley. And I still didn't know what that was. Um, like I was maybe like my second year of college, right? I didn't really know what it was. I was, at the time I thought maybe I'd be an atmospheric scientist. Like I was still not honed in on community development as my jam. And she used an example of environmental injustice. And her example were kids who grew up in the Valley with asthma. And she was telling all these stories of families. And I was like, literally that face you just made, I was just like, what? Like, it, it, and I don't think I even fully process it at that moment. I just remember something hit me. Like, yeah. And I'm like, I don't, yeah. did she know I was back here? Like, what is this? Like, I mean, like, I grew up in Oildale with asthma, you know? Like, like, what does that mean? And, and I mean, you're so, it's so normalized, right? When you grew up in a community like Oildale, the fact that you're surrounded by these large oil, like, fields and refineries and trucks. It's just, it's very normalized. You don't think anything of it because that's where you've always lived, right? And it it was what I needed in terms of an external perspective to really look back on where I grew up and what happened and all those times when I couldn't breathe right, all those times when things were going on and finally connect that something was wrong, that that, that, that wasn't how every, you know, just because all the kids I grew up with had asthma didn't mean that's how it's supposed to be and see the system, right? Like suddenly I saw it in the context of this bigger movement and system. And I was just like, 
<laughs> like I remember this moment and I know who this researcher was. Like I still, rem- I can see her face in Hart Hall at UC Davis. It's like, I don't think she ever knew that that happened to that like undergrad sitting in her audience. But yeah, that was the moment for me that it all started. It- that that moment's so relatable, you know, and I'm sure there's a lot of people listening right now who's like, yep, yeah, I'm over here with my head shaking, like, yes, yes, and, you know, I have this conversation with my mom a lot where, you know, she's like, you know, I didn't realize that we were poor growing up. I just thought everybody had, like, government cheese, you know, and I think, you know, for Mm -hmm. people who are really, like, get that awareness, get that consciousness, it comes to this point where it's like, wait, everybody doesn't live like this? Or, you know, this isn't happening to everybody? Because you assume that that's the way you grew up, so that's the way everyone else has grown up, you know? And so when you get that perspective Mm -hmm. switch, it just is literally like a light switch that goes on, like, wait a minute, you know? And like just tying that to 2020, I think that's what happened for a lot of people was like that light switch went on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I'm sure a lot of people, even if the light switch didn't go on when they were kids or in college or like whenever it was, 2020 is going to be that for them where it's like, yo, I realize like that's not how everybody did things, you know? And so. Yeah. And I hope so, right? Because it's like, I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, Latinos were getting infected at a higher rate. And I remember the early narratives were like, oh, they just don't understand how to, you know, stay home and how that pivoted into, no, they're providing our food. Like they're they're out doing this work. This is important. And you've seen that in so many contexts, Pacific Islanders in Los Angeles. I remember the article coming out, oh, they're getting infected really high. Oh, they must be having these house parties and they don't understand. No, it's because they couldn't afford housing and their culture brought them to live together in intergenerational fashion, which meant they were exposing each other. You know, like, so, and when you kept seeing this moment would come out where it would be blame an individual based and then this counter narrative came out real quick after that was like no it's the system it's a problem in the larger community and that gives me a lot of hope because i think that's that's when we lack when we lose our vision of change is when we start to see this all as individuals and not as a system both as people with each other and as people in relation to mm-hmm. our environment and mm-hmm. our government and you you mentioned that before we got on the call is like this ecosystem and you see it in that that way which is very important right because yeah if you look at it in this individual lens you never quite see the entire ecosystem right so Talk about what that ecosystem needs from your perspective to be more well in our community. I don't, you know, Mm. we could take, we could broadcast it out to the world of ecosystems, but just in our community, like, what do you think that ecosystem needs to be well, truly? And I know that's a loaded question. That's a lot there. (laughs) I mean, we've, it is, it is. I know. I'm like, that's, I mean, I think we've really, we've lost focus on the basics, you know, and so much of it for me really comes back to housing. It's always come back to housing because it's such a foundational thing about water. You think about food, you think about air, you think about housing, like what you can't really live well without. And as a community, it's so interesting, even in environmental justice spaces, right? We're all housing advocates because it's all comes back to 
where you lived, where you were able to live, right? Especially as people of color who were often located in these communities where we still live over proportionally close to pollution, close away from the good stuff, the assets, to like what happens when you try to improve that community and then that the housing spikes, right? And folks start to leave. And um, it, that to me is the, lar- the biggest canary in the coal mine to our challenge is when we've lost touch with ensuring people physically have a place to be in our community. Um, and, and until we really tackle that, and it's so interconnected, right? Because it's connected to mental health and wellness and, and um, jobs and income and, and, and support and relationships um, in the community, but it all kind of centers around this very basic fundamental need. If you don't have a place to be in the community, um, the rest of it's never really gonna manifest. And um, I remember when I first moved to Oak Park for the like year and a half that I lived there and my old neighbor, Lucky, mm. who lost his house about a year after um, I moved in, he they were doing some improvements on Broadway. And I remember saying like, oh, isn't that cool they're doing? And he was like, oh, no, girl. <laughs> he says, and he literally called me girl. It was like, that, that's not for us. That's for the folks that are going to live here. Like, you wait and see. Like, he saw it so clearly as someone, like a seven-year-old man who didn't, <laughs> wasn't on social media, wasn't woke, wasn't into the scene. Like, he knew that that, like, he was going to lose his space. And that's, and it starts culturally, it starts economically, all these things coincide. But that, to me, is what we have to refocus on and all the talk I hear about jobs and and economic development and investment keeps missing like we just keep punting on this big question and it just keeps getting worse the article was out today right 60,000 Sacramentans can't afford to live here 600 people got locked out of their housing in the last year I'm just like when are we going to tackle the Mm, toughest but most it's such a layered um, conversation right where where you plot if you had to plant your flag in that one thing housing that's where it is where that's where we'd start and and push it out from there yeah 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 i mean because once we stabilize people on housing i mean even just thinking about us as individuals right like somebody was talking about this and i thought it was such a beautiful way to think about it just this morning he's like you know your home is he's like my home this guy is wealthy owns businesses has properties all over the place and he was saying you know my home is the most important thing to me in my in my entire life it's like it's the place you go you know when you need to rest at the end of the day it's the place where you get your food it's the place where you're safe if the weather is bad like to him it was just so clear that that was the most important thing out of everything in his life was making sure he had his home. Um, And I think we lose that. If you really break it down, where would you keep your food? Where would you keep your clothes? Where would you rest at night? I mean, so much of what we've given people just in these temporary triage centers, watching people rest, like that first night was always super fitful. The second night they were chilling. And by the third or fourth night, they'd be in those warming centers. You'd watch them relax and you'd realize that that was probably the first time they've really had that moment that we all have every time we go into our home and how critical that is to just being able to function as a human, um, but to grow all that other stuff that we want and need mm-hmm. in our community to be healthy. Oh, yes. I'm 100% agree with you on that. Let me ask you this. like We talked about wellness we're talking about how that plays out on like a community level and where we should start, right? I want you to, and and I always do this on these podcasts, it's like for folks that are in the middle 
of a storm or feel like they're in the middle of a storm, whatever it may be, wherever, you know, whether it's, you know, they're unhoused or they're going through some kind of injustice on another side or they're just trying to be more well because 2020 threw them for a loop and they're trying to get back on. Like, what's that one piece of advice that you would give folks that really changed your life personally? Like something you heard or, you know, something that someone said to you that really changed your life that you could share out to folks that are listening? Yeah, that's a very simple question to me. It's the it's the relationships that you have that that you have to nurture. I've had a lot of moments in between the campaign and then in between the campaign and getting sworn in and being sworn in, a lot of eye of the storm moments. And what's always brought me back was that text from someone who knew what was going on, who said, Hey, just checking on you, you know, or like that person that I knew I could call and be like, I don't know what to do. What do I do right? who I knew would be real with me and who I also knew I could trust, who wasn't going to tell anybody that I called them in a panic to be like, I don't know what to do with this, you know, like some, like help me, you know? And that's what pulled me out, honestly, was having those friends who were just like, like I said, you're not taking care of yourself, Katie. Like I'm watching what's happening. I can tell you're not like, you need to do something and, and really forcing me to look at myself and be like, you're right. I'm, I'm not feeling good right now. I need to do more. And so the relationships to me is something I realized during the campaign because I did have a, several crises happen and had those people that I called. And my goodness, if I hadn't been able to call them and then be able to help me think it through, I'm not sure how I would have handled it. It would have just been overwhelming. Um, and realizing in that moment that I needed to keep investing that time and feeding that. And the beauty is with friends, with your close, real friends, it doesn't matter if it's been a year, you know, it doesn't matter if you've hit a low point, you can call them and say, look, and be real with them. And they're going to be there with you and those new friends that you make. It's just, that's so important. And that's something so foundational. It's why I always try to look at unhoused folks when I pass them. It's why I always try to say, Hey, how's it going? Because that connection with other people, I have learned as someone who lives alone, I know a lot of people <laughs> rap about partners, about kids, whatever, during the pandemic. And I'm like, I would give my right arm for that because I've been alone with like no contact for so long. And that's really, all my friends who've been alone, we've all had the same thing where it's like, we've got to have those people. If I don't have those people, I, I not existing. Yeah. In the same I know way a lot I of people to. who are listening right now are kind of triggered by the ones that have kids at home and like <laughs> significant other. <laughs> I know. And nothing against, I get it. You've had a hard time too. I get it. But like, we all know that, right? When you're out your wits in, you got to have somebody you can talk to, whether it's your partner, whether it's your parents, whether it's your friend, like you have to find, and if you don't have mm. that person, you got to figure out who that person is. Cause that's going to make all the difference. My friend Amelia training me right now. I mean, we do a session and I leave feeling better. And it's both because I've been moving with her, but it's also because she is there telling me how proud she is of me, helping me think things through. And like, that's invaluable. You mm, can't buy that. I love that. Yeah. And then this last question I have for you is just like, just a personal thing. Like, how do you practice mindfulness right now? Like, what are some things that you do that are just practicing mindfulness? Or if you're not really practicing them right now, what are some ways that you will? 
<laughs> well, one idea I had actually that my friend Amelia gave was when I ate. And her thing was for at least one meal a day to really focus on what I was tasting, what the texture was, you know, thinking about where the food came from, all of that. Like just take one meal a day where I just let myself like just focus on that. And um, that is really important to have those things. And, and it, it's, it changes the meal experience too. Like the food tastes better. I don't know what that is, but it's like, you, know, you get full faster. Yeah. It's incredible. But um, it was also a great moment just to slow it down and to focus on something. It's also, frankly, it's why I like golf. You know, I know a lot of folks have a lot of feelings about golf, but I always joke that I'm like, you know, if you're not focusing on that ball in front of you, <laughs> you it will not work. Like, like you've got to tune out everything around you and just focus on what you're doing in that moment and that is so helpful to just being clear and the system sucks you in and especially when I was a council member for the first few meetings it was this it was that it was this and then like I realized that I took that moment I went and sat with my friend on her porch we drank some wine we just talked about life and didn't talk about work and I've had my most clear thoughts coming out of those moments that's when I came up with the idea of people's budget in Sacramento actually I took my first night off in like a month and went and sat on my friend's porch and I was walking home and I was like you know what we should do we need to focus on the money yes. <laughs> and it's a, like it makes you better because it helps your brain do what it's your brilliance to just come through but yeah the food thing the golf thing I try to take walks um and then yeah nothing like having your friend just like make you do all sorts of exercises for 50 minutes to make you just forget the world and focus on how you're moving but that for me is movement mm, and eating I love is sort it of I team. love it that's I mean to me like of all the things that you are faced with and 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 this specific podcast topic we're talking about being present right and and that truth like there's this grace that you have to move through it all right and even even if it's not perfect or what people perceive as perfect even if you're falling off of your wellness journey or like whatever it is like you still show up and you're still present, you know what I mean? And you're, and you're there and you're doing it for mm -hmm. a large community of folks who don't necessarily always agree, you know, or... <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know you what I'm saying? So like, I, I see that. And so that, that presence it takes for you to be in that space, you know, and, and live very publicly, like... I just want to say I appreciate that, you know, um, you've you've just always kind of stood up and just have held that space. Right. And so from what I hear, it's like that's been a long time coming through college, through all of these different things. But in this last five months, like it's really shown um, on a on a grander scale, you know, so I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's um it's intense. Like what they don't tell you when you take elected office is that you really do mostly hear from folks when they're mad. And that um, when in the pandemic, I don't know if this is unusual because it's my only experience. Like people go out of their way to send you an email telling you they think you're a terrible person and the thing you did is a failure and they just can't wait to vote for somebody else. Right. And you're just like, and it's hard not to let that get to you, you know, even though, you know, and 
for me, what mindfulness has done is it's really helped me see, recognize the hurt in the people who are emailing me those things, right? And like really start to like, yeah, it still hits and it still stings, but there's also that moment of like kind of empathy I have for them where I'm like, wow, you have spent time sending me this nasty email. Like you must be really having a hard time right now. You know, this is, I feel bad for you, you know? And so it's, it's critical to that survival. It's, um, you know, I talk about organizing is like surfing, you know, you kind of kind of surf the wave, but like to surf, you've really got to keep your balance and your own focus. Right. And like, as it gets a little bit more turbulent, like it's just, I mean, I found that to be so useful just to recognize people as people and by keeping myself as a person um, so that I keep that. No, that makes a hundred percent sense. I love that. So where can people find out more about you? Where, where would you, (laughs) she's like, actually don't find out more about me. (laughs) No, I was laughing because we still don't have my council member page up all the way. (laughs) Actually, somebody made fun of me, a reporter, because he's like, stop doing so much work and get your webpage going. I'm like, I don't know, we're bad. Um, But like, I'm on Twitter, Katie for council with the number four. I'm also on Facebook and try to do a decent job with Instagram and fail. And then, you know, I still have my website, katie4council.com. And um, there is a city page um, that just doesn't have much on it, but it will uh, <laughs> eventually. Uh, so, yeah, I think I I'm all, try to engage in as many of the platforms as I can. Sometimes it's overwhelming because mm-hmm. people just tag you on all sorts of stuff. But um, that's how they can see me and some of what I believe. And every once in a while, you'll get a little flavor of my EJ stuff when I get really... For those of you guys that are listening, so. those are the best. Those are the best posts. I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> what like, she said. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what's up. I appreciate your time, yeah. you know, um, and just, yeah, thank you for sharing and, and kind of bringing your perspective to it. You know, I know a lot of people listening will, will find a lot of, I mean, I have some notes here that I'm just going to be able to be like, oh, yeah, cool. And like revert back to, um, so, <laughs> yeah, just appreciate you sharing. Um, yeah, that's it. Have a good day. All right. Thank you. Peace. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Open Discussions with the Spiritual Homie. We would like to thank our editor, Noah Davis, our production manager, Joel Robertson, marketing and graphics designer, Ian Hops, content curator, Ben Ismail, technical consultant, Jared Fox, our scheduling coordinator, Holly DeFazio, and our host, Rashawn Davis. Thank you.